Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Thank you so much for, uh, for leading us, band. It's good just to, to worship and sing out to God as we see Him move and, and work. Hey, we want to, uh, we want to begin a conversation uh, this week, uh, a four-week conversation. Uh, we start a, a series today, as you may have seen. Uh, called I'm Not Okay, and it's a, it's a conversation uh, about mental health, and we've titled uh, this series that for, for one reason, because we want you to know uh, that it's, it's okay uh, to not be okay, and it's okay to, to share the fact that you're not okay, and this is a, a big, complicated topic. This is not something that we expect to, to talk about once for 10 or 15 minutes, and everything will be better, and we will have talked about every facet and every angle, but this is a conversation that we think uh, is important and a conversation that, that we want to have. We know that for many uh, people, mental health is a, a part of their story. It might be part of your personal story. It might be part of your story uh, because someone that you know, someone that you love is, is linked uh, to that, and so this is a, a conversation that we want to have, and a conversation that we think is important. Uh, a simple uh, definition of, of mental health uh, is, is is just this: uh, it says that uh, a person's thoughts, emotions, and behaviors uh, can be changed and abnormal to the point of causing suffering in themselves or or for other people. And I think that that's a great baseline, a great foundation for us to start today. And uh, I want to uh, humbly point this out. I believe that, that mental health and sin are, are connected. I'm not saying that, that many people choose mental health or, or a struggle with that or, or that it's a, an outright sin, but I want you to know uh, that they're connected in this way. It seems that, uh, that we live in a fallen and sinful world. We know that. We trust that. Scripture tells us that. We know that God created us perfectly and wanted us to live in a perfect world in a perfect relationship with him. But we chose our own way, and so sin nature came into the world. And because of sin, every day, every minute, every hour, every year, every season, we have to battle. And we look at the battle that we have with sin and the battle that we have with mental health, and we know that our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors can bring about suffering in our lives and suffering in the lives of others. And so sin has several consequences. Sin has several effects. One of those, one of those consequences, one of those effects is global consequences. We know uh, that the, the curse that was put on Adam and Eve as they left the garden and the flood of Noah's Ark, and there are different plagues and corruption and things that we have seen throughout time and history. We know that sin has an effect of national consequences. We see kings and, and, uh, and presidents and, and people going to war and societies and civilizations rising and falling. And so we've seen that effect all throughout the world. We've seen the physical consequences of sin. We've seen our, our bodies degenerate and we've seen We've seen death enter this world, and we've seen uh, that there are societal consequences and spiritual consequences and even eternal consequences because of our choice to walk away from God because of sin. 
And there are, there are mental consequences. Part of the consequences of sin entering this world are, are just the fact that uh, because we were, we were created and made to be in relationship with God and we're separated from that, there's an eternal weight and there's a, a, a way that our minds labor and really can't hold up to the weight of being pulled away from God and, and the, the, the way that we suffer in our emotions and, and the effects of that. And so mental health is one of the effects, one of the, the ways that we suffer because of sin. And I want to just outline a few different ways for some people that evidences itself uh, in the form of anxiety or anxiety disorders. For some people that looks like uh, panic attacks or social anxiety. For other people it could be uh, as simple as a mood disorder. For others uh, it, could, it could be eating disorders or maybe you know someone who has struggled with that. It might be a, an impulse disorder or even a, an addiction uh, as, as was shared already in a testimony. It might be something that affects your personality Uh, It might be uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. It might be post-traumatic stress disorder. And it might be a a stress response syndrome where you, uh, you find different ways to cope and adjust. But the reason that we want to approach this conversation is because uh, sometimes mental illness and, and mental health are hard to talk about and they're hard to define, right? Some of us have been taught, well, just don't talk about that and it doesn't exist, or just don't talk about that and, and it'll go away. And others look at the way that the world is telling us to deal with these things. We look at the wisdom of the world and the medication of the world and we think, man, that doesn't feel right either. It doesn't seem to be dependent on Jesus and doesn't seem to follow what scripture has, has shown us and what we feel a Christ follower should do. And so today we start this four-week series because we want to find the middle ground, we uh, mentioned that, that uh, this, this, this conversation is called I'm Not Okay, and we want you to know that it's okay to not be okay, and we want you to know that it's okay to share that you're not okay. And so uh, some of you are connected through our movement groups. Some of you have a home in those movement groups. Some of you feel that you have a family and you have friends. And I hope that you'll uh, be honest and, and feel free to be able to share struggles and share where you're at. That's where conversations could start. If you think that that conversation uh, requires more, our staff and myself personally would love to talk to you about whatever God is doing in your life and in your heart. And almost uh, every week, every month, there are people that come to us and say, hey, I've got something going on. I'm not sure I want to talk to people I know. I might want to talk to a, a mental health professional. And so I want you to know that, that we are linked up with, with counselors and, and different people all over the city that we trust, that we partner with. And so if, if that's what you would require, if that's what you would want, we would love to connect you uh, with someone else that you can talk to. But it's okay to admit that you don't feel okay, that you're not okay. And we know that we battle the effects of sin every day in our lives. One of the ways that we battle those effects in a, in a physical fallen world is, is simple things like disease, right? Most of us would not have a problem admitting that we recently had the flu. Most of us would not hide from that. We would not be embarrassed by that. We would say, that's just the world we live in. It happens, and, and we would do our best to work through that and, and work around that and, and get through it. Most of us would not be terribly embarrassed if we had a broken bone, right? Or if someone we knew, a child that lives in our house, fell and and slipped and and broke their wrist. We would do what we had to do to address that and to work through it. And so I kind of want to borrow from that analogy of a broken bone for a second. If you had a broken bone, you wouldn't just say, hey, give me some pain meds and I think this will work out, right? 
And yet you, you also might get a cast and, and you still might say, you know what, there's some pain management, there's some things I'm working through, it's gonna be the cast kind of aligning me and focusing me and also it's gonna be the medicine. And so we look at, at sometimes this conversation of mental health gets thrown completely into medicine and sometimes it, people ignore medicine and treatment and wanna go completely into just buck up and get over it. And today, as we push ourselves to, to depend on Christ and look to Christ, we wanna have a conversation that looks at both and. We wanna address what's going on in our heart, in our life, in our minds, spiritual beings, and we don't want to suggest that, that the pendulum should swing one way and that that's completely perfect, or the pendulum should swing the other way, but we want to have this conversation and just ask, as fallen sinful people in a fallen sinful world that bear the weight, the mental weight of being separated from our Savior and not being whole and perfect and complete, what can we talk about, what can we work through, and what can we learn? So if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. If you don't, there's probably one under your seat or behind your seat there. Maybe you saw it when you sat down. We're going to be on page 12, Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 there, right at the beginning. And we want to walk through this passage and see what God has for us, see what we can learn this morning. Just to give you a little, a little context uh, scripture is divided into to two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to be in the Old Testament today. And the Old Testament is the story of God's people, the Israelites. God made a covenant with a man named Abram, later changed his name to Abraham. And so we're actually going to talk about the story of him and his wife. It was Sarai, changed to Sarah later. And as God was moving them and saying, and, and, and this, this covenant he had made that he was going to make them into a great nation, we see him walking with God, similarly to, to how we walk with God. And God moved his family and, and everything he owned and took him to a new place. But there was uh, one problem. If God's going to make you into a great nation, God's going to make your people into a great people you kind of have to have some people, right? And so God had promised, I'm going to give you people, I'm going to make you into a nation. And yet Abraham did not have an heir. He did not have a son. And so that's kind of where this, this story picks up here. We want to read in uh, chapter 16, verse one. It says this on, on page 12. You can follow along and see what God has for us. Take some notes if you want. It says this, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. So Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from? And I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then she added, I will give you more descendants. I'm sorry, then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. 
This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Birlahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can be found between Kadesh and Barad. So in this story, we see that Abram and and Sarah have been promised that God is going to make a nation out of them, a nation out of their descendants. He's walked them into this land of Canaan, and yet they've been there, and they've been waiting 10 years, and they've been kind of wondering, all right, God, what are you doing here? What's going on? What's this process? And they're not really confident in this timeline. We're looking at this story today because we won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm sure that most of us could go around the room and say, has there ever been a time in your life that you haven't been confident in what God is doing? You haven't been confident in his timeline. Probably more than that, we could go around and say, who's not confident in God's timeline right now? And probably most of us in some way could, could raise our hand and could agree with that. And so when they weren't confident in God's timeline, they took matters into their own hands. Now, it didn't seem like a huge deal then because people have been doing that since time began, right? Like we said, sin is part of this world. We take matters into our own hands. We don't trust God's timeline, and so we're going to work things out in our way. And so she gave her servant to her husband, and that was the custom back in that culture. A barren woman could could give her servant to her husband, and if a child was conceived, the child would be adopted as her very own. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't something that people would have frowned upon, and culturally, it was a pretty decent plan, except God had said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to make you into a nation, but it's what other people would have done. It wasn't a huge thing that would stand out. But problems began to surface, and this plan started to fall apart when they took matters into their own hands. And and so if there's one thing that we can say as we begin this conversation today, if there's one thing that we can say as this conversation happens, it's just simply this. Don't take matters into your own hands. As you look at God's plan, as you look at what he's doing, as you look at the way that he's moving and working, don't take matters into your own hands. Now, there's a certain level of faith that comes with that. There's a certain level of trust that comes with that as we look at God's plan. But when we try to make things happen on our timeline and our way and we don't follow God's direction, things get messy. When we try to make things happen in our timeline and try to control our timeline, we think that we're coming up with answers and we're coming up with nothing. I've, I've talked to people this week who are trying to control the timeline of trying to find Mr. Right or, or, or Mrs. Right, and they're trying to control the timeline of, of employment and other things, and, and I'm not mocking that. I'm not saying that the desires of our heart cannot be for the things that God is going to take us toward, but I think we have to relinquish control to that in some very obvious ways because we're not in control of what's happening. And so this timeline that God had set in motion was a test to the faith of of Abram and and Sarah because they didn't know what God was going to do and when he was going to do it. And so they had to look to him and only him and trust him. And sometimes we're not a fan of that. And so Sarah puts this plan in motion and her servant gets pregnant and and things are not great between her and her servant. And, And more important than that, things are not great between her and her husband now. And they begin kind of blaming each other and looking to each other and they're all being mean to each other and they're all arguing to the point that Hagar is just thinking, I don't want to be in this situation. I didn't really choose this. And she runs away. She runs away from the drama and the effects and the problems and this family and, and everything that she's known and she steps away. 
And in this day, she would have been leaving everything. This wasn't like just moving around the corner and getting a new lease on a slightly worse apartment, right? This didn't mean that she was just going to have to make her own car payment out. This, this, this meant that she walked away from everything she knew, from her, from her provision, from, from the, the group of people that she had grown up with, the group of people that she knew, the group of people that paid her bills and where she got her food, where she got her housing. This was everything. And yet she walked away from this. But the angel of the Lord shows up and and says a couple of things to her. And and this is something else I think we can learn today as we have this conversation. Not only should we not take matters into our own hands, but but the angel of the Lord tells her to turn around and and to go back and and face her problem. Now, that can look a, a lot of different ways in this conversation, but the angel of the Lord is saying, I'm pulling you through this timeline. I'm, I'm requiring faith for many different people in this timeline for a reason. And so I want you to face this problem. I want you to face it head on. She's told to return and, and face Sarah. And that had to be scary. It had to be terrifying. She had to not want to do that. She had to want to quit. But God was asking her to work on her attitude towards Sarah. No matter how justified her attitude may have felt, no matter how justified it might have been, God was asking her to work on that. I'm not saying today that she deserved to be treated poorly. I'm not saying that that she should just walk back into that cycle. But in this instance, that's how God asked her to face the problem that was in her life. Sometimes we, we run toward different things as we're running away from a problem. We run toward isolation. We run toward coping mechanisms. We run toward walls that we build up all around ourselves. And we run toward many different ways that our mind can take us. And yet God is often saying to turn around and to face that problem. He's not saying to face it alone, but he's saying I'm here and we need to face the problem that's in your life. And so it might be confusing that God sends her back into what we perceive and know is a bad situation. And yet the Hebrew words to describe her oppression under Abram and Sarah are the same words that are used in the chapter before when God is talking about the Israelite descendants and talking about the fact that they'll be oppressed as slaves. And so God's people are going to be oppressed and it's the same language, the same word, but but they're told that they're going to be brought out of this oppression. They're told that they're going to be brought out of this oppression, that God has a plan, and that he's going to give them this land that they've been promised. And so in other words, the nation of Israel and and, and Hagar, their stories parallel each other. In chapter 15, God tells Abraham that he's going to multiply his descendants, that they'll become slaves, and then they'll receive the promised land eventually. And in chapter 16, God tells Hagar that she will be oppressed, but she will have a child who will be greatly multiplied as a nation. And so we see those two stories running parallel together and God connects that there's a a time of suffering and then there's a time of promise and blessing. And this is a theme that we see all throughout scripture that God's heart is for the oppressed. And some of us have been taught not to talk about the oppression that we feel and not not to talk about the, the mental weight that we feel as we live life every day. But if we could be honest today and say, do you feel a mental weight? Do you have someone in your life that feels a mental weight? Have you had that conversation? Do you know what to do with that topic or that conversation? You might say no, but I want you to know this, that God's heart is for oppressed people. And God's heart is for you if you're feeling that today. 
God connects suffering and promise and blessing. And as I mentioned, it's a theme we see throughout Scripture. In fact, if you look at the Beatitudes, you look at the words of Jesus, it's the broken who receive the kingdom. And so God understands that those who suffer have a better ability to understand their need for him and can more rightly receive blessings. There's no pride in the economy of God. But when a broken person receives blessing from God, they're able to look and be grateful. They're able to look and depend on him and realize what he has done. So a couple of things we've highlighted in this conversation. When you're feeling oppressed, don't take matters into your own hands. Face your problem head on. One more here. Run to God. She turned around and and faced her problem, and I'm sure that she didn't know exactly what God is going to do, even though this angel had spoken this into her life. I'm sure that she still had faith issues, but she said, I'm going to run to God. I'm going to stay by his side, and I'm going to walk through this time with him and see what the plan is that he unfolds. And yet sometimes we wonder, why would, I, why would I run to God? Isn't God the one who allowed these things to happen? Isn't God the one who let me be in this, this place in the first place? Isn't God the one who was writing this plan that people speak of, and yet all of these terrible things have happened to her? I mean, at no point in this plan does it say, Hagar wanted to be, to be viewed and, and held as, as property, and Hagar wanted, to, be, and wanted to, to start a family with these people that she wasn't married to, and she wanted to be a part of this problem, and she wanted to feel the mental weight and the stress, and she wanted to have these things done to her. No, at no point does it say anything like that. And so there's some liberties of translation there, but I've got to think that the mental weight of this and not choosing What was done to her, what happened to her, played into the reasons that she ran away and the reasons that she left. And I can't help but think that that some of us, as we begin to talk about this this topic for the next month, would, would have a similar story. Maybe the ways that that we act out or the ways that we process, the ways that we're coping are because of things that have been done to us or things that we haven't chosen. There are people in this room who have been physically abused that never chose that. There are people in this room who have been sexually abused that would have never chosen that in a million years. And the weight that they bear in their minds and their lives because of that has driven them to where they are now. And they look at God and they look at their story and they just think, I didn't choose that and I don't want to run back into someone's arms and I don't want to trust someone who was writing this story that I detest the pit of my stomach. And yet she, she looks to God. She runs to God. She faces her problem with God. She doesn't take this into her own hands. She trusts that God is going to bring about hope and, and bring about healing. She trusts that God is going to bring her out of this. She depends on the timeline that God continues to control. And she looks to God. I'm sure there's a lot of lies and a lot of things that she could believe, and yet she moved on from those lies and said, I'm not going to carry them on my own. I'm going to let God carry the weight of that. And so no problem is too big for God. No plan or timeline is too big for God. God is working in her heart and in her life. And I want you to know that no matter what you're thinking today, no matter what's been the cause of of the anxiety and the weight and the mental pressure that you feel and that you carry I want you to know that that God is bigger than the things that we think. And I want you to know that God is bigger than the things that we feel. 
the things that we're facing, the things that embarrass us, the things that box us in, the things that hold us back and the things that have controlled our heart and controlled our lives, the things that we're working through and the things that we're still processing. God is bigger than all of those things. I want you to know that I think this is the most important thing that we can see from that story, that God sees you. God sees you right where you are. God sees you with the things that you've been through. God sees you with the weight that you carry and the things that you're processing and the things that have unfolded in your heart and your life exactly as you are. Some of us feel broken. Some of us feel feel sinful. Some of us feel ashamed. Some of us feel that we can't go on and we don't know who we are. And I want you to know that right where you are, right as you exist, God sees you. And I hope that that's comforting to you today because Hagar wasn't someone who was, who was really celebrated in this story. In fact, if you go back and read it again, you'll notice that they didn't even refer to her by name. They kept referring to her as servant or your servant. Even as they were talking about what they wanted to do with her and the trouble that she was making, she was viewed as a piece of property or she was viewed as an incomplete person. And yet God saw her. God, through this angel, spoke to her and and used her her name because he knew her and he knew her struggle and he knew what was going on in her heart and he knew the trouble that she was in. Something else that I think is worth noting is that Hagar is the only woman in Scripture to be told that she'll be multiplied to a great nation. This promise is usually given to to men throughout Scripture we see in those times. And when she's told that that her son will be born and should be named Ishmael, she becomes one of only four women with uh, Samson's mother and Hannah and Mary who receive this announcement, right? That God says, I'm going to bless you with a son. And she's the only person who receives this, this sign that she's going to be made into a nation. And so I think these things are important because we see a woman who's suffering, We see a woman who feels like she has nothing to live for anymore. She's running away from everything. She's bearing the weight of the things that are going on in her life and her heart, and she's ready to quit. And God says, you're not a piece of property. You're not defined by the things that were done to you. You're not defined by how those things have made you feel and the way that you've processed them and the mental load and the weight that you carry. You are not defined by those things, and you are not those things. You are my daughter, and God sees you, and he calls her by name. That doesn't make the load necessarily lighter right out of the gate, right? It's not like she said, oh, you used my name. Well, all my pain is gone now. Thank you. And yet it's the start of something. And so I mentioned that this is a four-week conversation. We want to continue to build as we talk about this. And so I hope that you'll be able to, to come back and keep up on the podcast and walk with us. But the fact that God sees us, the fact that God knows us, and the fact that God wants to walk with us, That gives her hope. It gives her hope in the midst of the the ugliness of the things that have been done to her. The ways that she had been defined and the ways that she had been taught to define herself and the mental weight of that. And there's hope because what God has done in her circumstances. There's hope because God saw her in those circumstances. And I'm sure if we could go back and look at this, we would probably have a whole nother spin on it. And we could talk about the different anxiety that she faced and the different mood disorders and the ways that this had evidenced itself as far as the way that she was having eating disorders. I'm sure that there are a lot of different ways that this conversation would look. 
But most of us can identify with her story. And I want you to know that you are not defined by the things that have been done to you. You're not defined by the abuse that has happened to you. You're not defined by the circumstances of your story, but you're defined by the fact that God sees you and God wants to know you. God sees you, God wants to know you, and he loves you. We live in a fallen, sinful world. We live in a world where we choose our own way, where we run away from God, and and the whole time God is standing and, and reaching out his hand and saying, I still want to know you. Even when our sin separates us from him, even when our sin takes us out of his presence and and takes us away from God because he's perfect, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, with a purpose. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this world who lived a perfect life and, and gave his life on the cross, not because he deserved to go to the cross, but he gave his life as the payment for our sin, the payment for us that run away from him and the payment for the things that exist in our lives and in our hearts. He gave his one and only son so that he could pay for the the, the price of of the sin that separates us from God. And because of what was done on the cross, because of his death and burial and resurrection, we have access to God. We can know God. We can have perfect relationship with God and we can depend on God. We can look to God. We can walk with God. We can have the comfort and the hope of a relationship with Jesus. So when I say God sees you, it's not just some great marketing statement that's supposed to make us feel better. No, God saw us enough to send his one and only son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for us. In the same way that that Jesus gave his life for us, we can respond by giving our lives to him. We can live for him. We can look to him. We can depend on him. And what you heard today are, are people's stories. You heard some, some people who lost spouses heard people who lost parents, heard people who felt like they were a part of a church and then felt betrayed by that and betrayed by their faith and came back to knowing God. But the common thread of all of their stories was that they finally realized that, that God saw them, that God wanted to know them, that God wanted to walk with them. And the weight of what was going on in their life or their heart was not something that they could just magically defeat on their own. No, but they could pass that burden on to Jesus. They could say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I give my life to you and everything I've tried to be and everything I am, I surrender it to you. Will you walk with me? Will you make me new? And will you carry this burden? And in Christ, with a relationship with Jesus, we can do that. It doesn't mean that this mental health conversation, like I said, just magically goes away like, oh, I gave it all to Jesus and I never struggle again. But it means that you have someone to walk with someone to share your pain with, someone to share your grief with, someone to process those things with, and someone to depend on for the long haul. And so some of us have been taught that we're defined by the abuses and the circumstances and the things that have been done to us. And I want you to know today that that you're defined by the fact that God sees you. God has never fallen out of love with you. God has never lost sight of you. And God sees what you are going through and has sent his son, Jesus. And a relationship with him is a simple thing and yet a profound thing because there has to be a decision where we we surrender our will, we surrender our life and say, Jesus, I want to live for you. There has to be a moment where we stop believing the lies of Satan and the lies that have been placed on us and the weight of our sin and the things that we've taken on and the places that it has brought us. And we have to turn around and say, Jesus, I'm lost. I'm far down this road. I'm separated from you and I just want to know you. I just want to know hope and I want to know love. And that's as simple as a conversation, reaching out and starting a relationship with Jesus. And so as we close today,
I'd love for us to pray, and I'd love to offer you an opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. Will you pray with me? If for the first time you're hearing that that God loves you, that you're not defined by the things that have happened to you, that God sees you in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of of illness, in the midst of this conversation, and that God sent his son Jesus for you. If you know that there's nothing you can do to, to save yourself or be perfect, but you would say, I want to know Jesus. I want to surrender to Jesus. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to live my life for him. That's a simple decision away. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I give my heart and my life to you today. I want you to come into my life and take away the pain and circumstances and sin and the ways that I've run away from you. God, I want you to take it all away so that I can know you and be found in you and be a new creation. And if you want to make that decision today, we would love to talk to you about that. We would love to see you indicate that on a next step card or come back to the next steps table and talk to us. Some of you are are greatly encouraged by the way that your friends shared their story today and you want your story to start today. You want that new chapter of your story to start. And so I pray that you'll come back and talk to us and let us walk through what God is doing in your life and in your heart. You're not defined by abuse. You're not defined by circumstances. You're defined by what Jesus did on the cross and he loves you and he sees you. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and the comfort it is. Lord, I thank you that we can see in the example of hair, Lord, that you never take your eyes off of us, no matter what the world has done to us, no matter how the world has wanted to define us. You love us, you run after us. You sent your son for us. God, help us to depend on you this week. Help us to depend on you today. Help us to look to you. Help us to know that you see us and you love us no matter what. God, we thank you for the chance to worship you, the chance just to be here together today. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.